0: America should be the best at both men's and women's sports. It's going to happen, Tay. We're going to be old and grey, but it is going to happen when both of them are at the top of their game and the rest of the world is chasing them. But I think that the women's team especially is going to have to go through a bit of pain first while the rest of them catch up in order to then make that next leap.
1: Welcome back to Offside with me, Taylor Twelman. I've been doing this for 13 years, and yet I've never been more nervous, more excited, more anxious, And in an odd way, more proud. The fact that one, I did one episode of talking into the mic by myself, but two, I get a second episode. Listen, the feedback, the reviews, everything last week. Thank you for that. In the future, I want you guys to be included, whether it's voicemails, voice messages, however we're going to be able to incorporate you guys. That's going to be part of our future But everything we got from Jorge Mas last week, the man who brought Messi to Miami, how it all went down, the fact that he broke news that Barcelona is not going to be part of his future, whether it's loan or whatever it may be, last week was a blast. This week, even better. We've got the wonderful Rebecca Lowe, a former co-worker of mine at ESPN. She's now an NBC Sports presenter with the Olympics, with the Premier League. But more importantly, she's the co-host of the Apple News World Cup pod After the Whistle with Brendan Hunt. And by the way, if you haven't listened to it, it's hysterical. Borderline pee your pants. But before we get to her, let's get to the top three things that I need to talk about in the American soccer landscape that I've seen over the past couple of days. So let's roll. Pauno Stoke gesturing at the watch as can puts it in play. And in a group with the leaders of Major League Soccer and League MX, Sporting Kansas City fight their way through to qualify for the knockout rounds. All right, naturally, you guys know this because you listen to week one, and obviously you're following me on social media, but my life has been turned upside down in a good way because I've been on the road, 17 cities in 31 days, by the way, because of League's Cup. Now, League's Cup is the tournament between League MX. In Major League Soccer. Now, both leagues stopped their domestic regular seasons to have this competition. Now, it's ramped up again. Started yesterday. It's going to go all the way through this weekend and ultimately the final on August 19th. But the question is this. Why am I all in on League's Cup? Now, listen, I've been around this league for 20 years. I was a player. Now, I've been in broadcasting for 13-plus years, as I've mentioned to you. Why am I in? 152 goals is why I'm in. That's just in the group stage. 152 goals scored in the group stage. Now, I'm not a math major, but I can do that math. That's almost three and a half goals per game, which means what? Both teams, both leagues, they're going for it in that particular game. It's high scoring. It's back and forth. And there's excitement because there's jeopardy on the line. A trophy, which any athlete will tell you, any coach will tell you. That's first and foremost. Secondly, three CONCACAF Cup bursts on the line. That's amazing for some clubs, especially these mid-tier clubs, which I'm going to get into in a moment. And third, the Sports Business Journal has reported $40 million prize money throughout the entire tournament. That's more money that's ever been in any domestic club competition in North America. So there's jeopardy on the line. There's excitement. Both leagues have been on par. You look at the wins, 13 for League MX, 12 for Major League Soccer. That's not including the penalty kick wins. Because both leagues have had three in and of itself. Now, 20 teams from Major League Soccer, they made it through the group stage. 12 from Liga MX, they made it. So for an old guy like me, question has always been, well, the gap between the leagues, that's minimal now at best. And why do I say that? Because this is what I've learned. We never get to see the mid-tier Major League Soccer teams play the mid-tier Liga MX teams. And guess what? Major League Soccer teams they're better. Minnesota United versus Puebla, great example. FC Dallas and Charlotte versus Nacoxa, better. Orlando City versus Santos Laguna, yes. I get it. Austin, they laid an egg, so there's been disappointment. They were in arguably the easiest group of this group stage, and they didn't get out of that group, so you've had disappointment. But we've never seen the mid-tier MLS teams versus Liga MX, and I can unequivocally say Major League Soccer is better. And I think the real goal of Major League Soccer through all of this is to see where that bar is. We've seen the gap closed, but now Tigres, Monterey, America, Pachuca, now coming into this, a lot is going to be asked, especially of the Major League Soccer teams on the left side of the bracket. That's where Tigres, that's where Monterey is. Leon is on that side, even Club America. Now, I get it. LAFC comes into the equation. Nashville, FC Cincinnati but the left side is so good it is stacked and what's remarkable is the teams are going to be exponentially different when MLS kicks off because guess what's going on right now at the same time the transfer window which leads me to my second point the big news today mo lucas Ooh. Elarian is moving on how big a body blow is that for columbus hey, it's massive news it's, it's a player that came into this team in 2020 straight away got them into- naturally when you talk about the mls transfer window it's inner miami it's Messi, busquets alba The under-22 signings, and Gomez, and Farias, and and Aviles. I I get all of that. And they will take the transfer headlines, as they should. You're talking about one of the greatest players ever in each respective position in Messi, Busquets, and Alba. But who surprised me the most? It's not Inter-Miami. It's the Columbus crew. They're a contender. They're sixth in the East. They're through the League's Cup knockouts, which they'll be playing Minnesota United tomorrow. And then they sell their best player, Lucas Zellerayen, they announced that 30 minutes before taking on Club America. And guess what happens? They win 4-1 at home the same night. And then they introduce Julian Gressel. They go out and get Camacho as a center back. And now they announce Diego Rossi, the player that took this league by storm. With LAFC, they transferred him to Turkey. They made all that money in the world. He scored over 45 goals in three years with LAFC. And now he's back in this league with Wilfred Nancy, who, in my opinion, is the best, most exciting coach week in and week out. Oh, my word. This is good business if you can get it. Now, Real Salt Lake also deserves a mention. I get that. $16 million spent over the past couple of windows. Watch out for the MLS Cup playoffs, U.S. Open Cup 2. I think Real Salt Lake is going to have something to say. But what's also important about this, and I think it's disappointing for some of these fans, like the Seattle, the Atlanta, New York City, and LA Galaxy fans in this league, is that they're not a bigger part of this transfer window. These franchises need to be driving the narratives of this league because I'm stating the obvious, the bigger the city, the bigger bang for the buck. And I hope, I hope that the moves of Columbus, Real Salt Lake, they motivate these owners to be a bigger part of the conversation, especially while the league right now moles over the next I would say stage of evolution regarding salary cap and roster rules because Jorge Mas and inner Miami have literally put gasoline on the fire to take this league to another level. This league is on the precipice of being in the conversation, not only in North America, but globally. And if you're part of the transfer window every six months, whether it's rumors or facts, it doesn't matter if you are part of the rumor mill and you are part of the world market, which Major League Soccer now is, this is the type of thing that transcends soccer. It transcends sports. If Columbus and Real Salt Lake in this league are driving narratives because Jorge Mas and Inter Miami have flipped the league on its head, Buckle up because the next three summers with the World Cup at the end of that is going to be the most exciting time of Major League Soccer in its history because they're going to be part of the sports landscape in a way that they never have before, which ultimately is how you define growth. Now, moving on to my final point, and obviously what's going on at the exact same time of League's Cup and the MLS transfer window is the Women's World Cup. And what took the headlines was Rob Stone and Carly Lloyd after the United States women's national team drew with Portugal Tuesday 0-0. After the game, they had a conversation. They had a conversation over live footage of the players smiling, taking selfies with fans, and dancing. And the quote was from Carly Lloyd.
0: There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You're lucky to not be going home right now.
1: So here's the question. Was Carly Lloyd out of line or was she doing her job? Let me answer that real quick before I give you context. She was doing her job and good on her for doing so. Because very few athletes, both men and women, when they retire, the red light comes on. They're scared to say something because they're friends, ex-teammates. But that's the job. You're being paid real money to give your opinion because you are credible. You are Carly Lloyd. You scored a hat trick in the Women's World Cup final. You have more credibility than anyone else on that desk. So say it. Now, in saying that, I'm also going to remind you of something. It's very difficult to judge someone's care, someone's energy, someone's wanting to win. I know this from experience. I'm loud. You know exactly where my emotions are. I wear them on my sleeve, both as a media person or as an athlete. But in the 2014 World Cup, I questioned someone on that team, whether or not he really cared, whether or not he really wanted to play for the red, white, and blue. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Now, luckily for me, it was off camera. But it taught me something about people, something about judging character. It's difficult to judge character. I don't think Carly Lloyd is wrong at all to questioning the dancing, the, the taking selfies, whether or not this team really believes they can win, the confidence level. None of that bothers me at all. But I think as she does this job a little bit longer, questioning, mentality, effort, care level, it's not black and white. It is extremely gray. I just find the entire thing ironic And confusing. Because remember in 2021, Carly Lloyd questioned the direction of the US women's national team program. Those are the same words she gave you Tuesday morning. She said people, athletes, were more worried about their brand than her generation and the generation before her, that it was all about winning and about moving the needle and competing and winning trophies. I don't don't have anything wrong with that. You also got to remember criticism when it comes to the women's national team is always under a microscope. Remember the last World Cup? What was it? The U.S. women, they beat Thailand, I think, 13-0. And Carly Lloyd was even on this team. And the conversation around that was, did they over-celebrate? I was in that camp saying, you guys are the favorites. Thailand's barely had a program. Carly Lloyd was on that team. I don't know. Only she can answer this. But maybe she believed in a little bit of that notion that maybe they over-celebrated this. Now, some would say she wanted a shut-up-and-play culture on the team. I don't know if I agree with that because she's a huge part of the equal pay movement, bringing equality to U.S. women's sports in particular. And yet now all of a sudden, all the anger is towards her not being a cheerleader, not supporting the U.S. women, and I'd argue through her criticism she is supporting it. She is moving the the meter. She is consistently providing something for the viewer – that unless you've been between the lines, you wouldn't know. And I think that's a good segue into our guest because Rebecca Lowe has done many of things as a woman in this media world. And I think how she relates to what Carly Lloyd is going through, and I just think her perspective on Major League Soccer, American soccer and the fandom, but also Carly Lloyd in this Women's World Cup I think it's going to be very interesting to hear what she says about it. Rebecca, welcome to Offside. I want to get right into this because honestly, I think you are the perfect guest to start this conversation. Tuesday on After the Whistle, I really appreciated you and Brendan Hunt's breakdown and perspective on what I would say is a lackluster Women's World Cup right now for the U.S. women, but also the reaction to Carly Lloyd. Rebecca, let's just start there. What was your take on it?
0: Well, I think, and you know better than anyone, Taylor, when you go from being a soccer player to being a pundit, it's not always a particularly easy transition, especially if, like you, you were pretty young, fresh out the game, knew a lot of people still playing. Carly's the same. She knows most of those women on the team. And so it's difficult because, yes, they are, you're going from being their friend to somebody who now has to speak Very brutally, very honestly, which, you know, friends don't always do. Let's be honest to each Mm -hmm. other anyway. And so then you have to do it on television and you don't get a lot of time on these broadcasts either. So you have to be pithy. You have to be succinct with what you're saying. And I thought what Carly came out with and actually has been talking about all World Cup has been really good. She has been so strong. And it's not easy to do. And there's criticism towards her in that, you know, well, she was only on the team a couple of years ago and now she's saying what she's saying. But this is her opinion. And the job is no longer to be a football player. It is no longer to be friends with Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino. The job is to be a Fox soccer pundit. And I think that's where lots of pundits down the years that I've worked with, they struggle with that because they don't want to say anything about their friends that might upset their friends. And so they just don't say anything. She is doing what she is now employed to do. And I actually sent her a message and said, girl, you're killing it. You are killing this because it's not easy. And don't let people say to you, all the criticism that come with your way, let, let that sway you. And actually she came out, you probably saw it mm-hmm. and she didn't apologize. She just explained a little bit about where she came from. And she said, this isn't an apology. This is just me explaining, you know, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I just, I just think... There aren't enough Carly Lloyds.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. She did the job. Whether I agree or disagree, that's not what the criticism is about. The criticism is completely unwarranted, in my opinion, because she's paid to give her opinion. She's got arguably more credibility than anyone else on the desk for what she's accomplished. Rebecca, she scored a hat trick in the Women's World Cup final. I want to hear what Carly Lloyd (laughs) thinks. Now, I disagree with her, and I'm curious where you are in this. You know this as well as I do. It's very difficult to judge someone's mentality, someone's care level, someone's wanting to win. I think you do this better than anyone. She also may know better than you and I if any of these players do care because she just left the team less than two years ago. That's the only criticism I have for her. But regarding the criticism over over over-celebrating, dancing, any of that... I'm okay with her criticizing that.
0: And you're you're right, Taylor. You you can't judge. We can't sit and watch any team play and say they don't care. They're not hungry enough. You can say what it looks like, but you can't say for definite that they're not hungry enough unless you know the people personally. And she does know them personally. She knows virtually every single one of those personally and intimately. And so I think that's okay what she said. It's harsh. It's real Mm -hmm. harsh. And I'm... I, I sort of struggle to get my head around that she could be correct, by the way. Agreed. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you can fly to Australia and represent the US women's national team and not be hungry and not care, which is why I think the head coach has more answers, to be honest. But we do treat women's football differently. You know what? It's so interesting. When I go to a men's game, at the end, Mm -hmm. really, the players just leave the field, Taylor, right? They do. They just say, thanks, quick clap to the fans, and off they go. There's very little selfies. There's very few autographs. It's just not the culture. When I've been to San Diego Wave games, for example, at the end, no matter what the result is, they go around, they meet the fans. And it's hard, Taylor, because I love them for doing that. Because at the end of the day, that goes a long way. So I'm very pro all that. But I just think that in a World Cup, when yeah, you have there's a different line.
1: There's a different line.
0: There is a slightly different
1: line, isn't there? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on the level of... First off, the women are different. They're growing the game. These are generations of women that yes. are opening up our eyes in generations of older people that now see women's sports in a different eye. They, they should do this. Kylian Mbappe doesn't need to do this. Lionel Messi doesn't mm. need to do that. The women do... At the club level, at the World Cup level, and I think this is where Carly Lloyd is coming from, it's about winning. The generations of Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Brandi Chastain, all the way to her, that was the baton that was passed. But Rebecca, I'm so glad you brought this up because I believe that the women should be criticized the same way the men are for 95% of it. And yet when they are like a Carly Lloyd, there's this weird critique and analysis that how are you not cheerleading? How are you not doing this? And yet I'd argue this is what the women want. That The women want to be treated no different than the way we treat the men in these big tournaments. Am I missing that? Or is there something that needs to be said that is different. Spot on.
0: Tell you spot on. I I have to say though, I've kind of fallen into that trap or I did slightly fall into that trap because when we did After the Whistle last year for the Men's World Cup, I, you know, I went off on one, right? About, about the Harry Kane and and Gareth Southgate and what was going on and why wasn't he playing this, that and the next. And then I signed up to do After the Whistle on the Women's World Cup and I, and I, I slightly had to just check myself. Like, okay, am I yep. am I gonna be okay like criticizing the women's why do I I don't even know why I had that thought process, but I think it is the society that we're in. But ultimately I've tried to do the same with this after the whistle as the one for the Men's World Cup. And you're absolutely right. I spent my entire life, Taylor, trying to be treated the same as, say, Mike Jerico. Yep. So I don't want to be treated different in my job. I'm really certain Alex Morgan doesn't want to be treated any different to Christian Pulisic. I really don't think she does because Their entire entity, the US Women's National Team, is about equality. That's what they're striving for, not just with money, but with status, with respect, with all these things. So if you want it that way, which they do, and I, by the way, I think they deal with criticism really well. They're like you and I. They understand. They understand. They want it. They actually want it because it shows that we're no longer pandering around, oh, a bunch of women. Agreed. We have to be a little bit more careful about what we say. Agreed, they don't Rebecca. want that. They're strong athletes. They're fine with it. So I'm with you. I'm all about exactly the same way of looking at it.
1: Because I did criticize this team in the generation in the Hope Solos in that generation. Carly Lloyd, they would reach out to me and say, I may disagree with you, but good on you. Thanks for being part of this conversation. Now, I'm not doing it just to do it. If I believe in something, I'll say it. I won't do something just for the headlines to cause a stir. But six years ago, I said something, and Rebecca kind of ruffled some feathers within this American soccer landscape. I said the moment the footballing countries and nations in the world put their attention and resources into the women's game, the gap's going to be gone in the blink of an eye. And a lot of people— took that as, well, you're being disrespectful to the women's national team. They've won two World Cups. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the FAs around the world, when they treat the women the same as the men, the gap's going to be shut closed would you agree with me that that gap is now being seen in this Women's World Cup? Or are we still maybe one World Cup away from that?
0: I think we're one World Cup away, but it's definitely okay. it's definitely visible, isn't it? I mean, it's massively visible. The reason why I say we're one more World Cup away is, I mean, look at Jamaica. They've just got through to the knockout rounds. Yep. Half of those yep. players on the Jamaican team didn't know where their airplane was going to take off from yep. to take them to this <laughs> Women's World Cup, right? So there is still a big gap between the way the men are treated and the way the women are treated, but it's smaller than it was in 2019 and it's smaller than it was in 2015 and going all the way back so in 2027 we're going to be i think you're going to be right i think we're going to be there a lot can happen in four years a lot of good work is being done at this world cup and has been done for 30 years i think four more years i mean i i i, I hope i'm right i hope you're right i hope because i don't want to go think into you tw- are right i hope so I, Tate, I, because I, we can't go into 2027 with every single like canada against their federation the Eng- england team against their fa we can't do it again I mean, what, what, it's 2027. I mean, that would be no, insane. So it, I think it, you're right. We've seen it and it's changing.
1: Rebecca, that scares me, though. You're right, because you can have these women. Now, the, the U.S. women have already kind of gone through it, in which, by the way, maybe that's why it's a little heavy on their shoulders right now in this World Cup, trying to win their third mm-hmm. in a row after going through that. There may be pressure <sighs> that's here. That's a great point.
0: That's a great that point. That
1: obviously I can't bring up. I can't talk about it. I've yeah. never been in their shoes but I just believe in 2027, what I've seen from Colombia, what I've seen from Brazil, even though they're knocked out, what I've seen from France, the fact that Jamaica, the first Caribbean nation to get through, Rebecca, I I, I think the women's game is on the precipice of blowing up very quickly because these FAs now have to pay attention. And when they yeah. do, on a personal level, it's only going to make the U.S. women better because someone's on their tail very quickly versus – say, eight years ago, 12 years ago? Well,
0: of course. How do you improve if no one's chasing you? How do Agreed. Manchester City get to over 100 points in the Premier League without Arsenal and Liverpool pushing them? They, they don't. You know, you need somebody to push you. So it's a good thing for everybody. OK, it might hurt a little bit in the short term for USA fans because you guys are so used to winning when it comes to <laughs> women's football. That's basically the reason for this country to be alive is to win. So I get that. It might be a bit sore for a little for a couple of World Cups. But then it'll then, I think, take another leap. Because, Taylor, I've said this many times before and now I'm an American citizen. I feel like I can say it even more. Congratulations, this country,
1: by the way. Now thank you can get rid you, of the accent, you. but don't get rid of the <laughs> accent on TV. It's too lovely, but carry on. <laughs> uh,
0: um, this country should be the best at men's and women's football. With mm-hmm. every, Now I've, I've lived here for 10 years. I've seen the facilities, the money, the investment, the focus on children's playing sport. I mean, in England, mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, I never played fo- football, but bo- boys in England, unless they're linked to a, a professional club, you know, you, they pay a couple of pounds, you know, a few dollars every week to play in a local park and no one's got any goals and they're putting up their literally their sweaters, as we call them, jumpers, jumpers for yep. goalposts. That's normal in England. Here, we're all obsessed with, okay, so Teddy's got a game in Rocklin on Thursday. Now, how are we going to get Teddy? Okay, so, and then he's got a wagon. He's seven. He's seven. Everyone needs to calm down. But we all do it, okay? So our entire lives in America are obsessed with children's sport, which is brilliant for so many reasons. There's a few things not so so good, but it's brilliant for so many reasons. That, plus the facilities, plus the money, plus the fact you guys have, we have over 300 million people. We should be. America should be the best at both men's and women's sports. It's going to happen, Tay. We're going to be old and gray, but it is going to happen when both of them are at the top of their game and the rest of the world is chasing them. It's just going to take a little bit of time, but I think that the women's team especially is going to have to go through a bit of pain first while the rest of them catch up in order to then make that next leap.
1: Agreed. It's exactly how I would have phrased it because you need to have a little bit of a valley to get back to the peak. Now, The U.S. women have set the bar of success in a variety of ways. Title IX's been a huge part of that in college athletics. But I'm glad you said you've been here 10 years because that's when you and I met, 2012. We were doing Euros for ESPN. You've been here 10 years. You're an American citizen. Is there anything about American soccer in the landscape that surprised you, Rebecca, now being here for 10 years? Oh,
0: good question. And the thing that surprised me as well today is actually just quite how many people want to watch football. I know. When I first got here... It it was, you know, you guys, when we were there in 2012, we were kind of like the kind of uncool crew in the corner at ESPN. No one, no one really cared about us. We did what we want. We yep. only a few people really knew what the hell we would what the Euro 2012 tournament even was, right? And we were just we were just in this kind of like niche corner. It's mainstream now, and that has changed over 10 years. And I'm I'm when I look at MLS games. I, I cannot believe how they how many people go to these games. I know. It, you know, and I think that people back in the UK, when they watch them now, of course, because it's on Apple, everybody can watch it. They say to me like, hang on, is that like a one-off? They've got 70,000 in Orlando. Yep. I'm like, no, that's every week, you know? And that has changed massively. And I don't think I thought it was as popular as it is.
1: Exactly. Rebecca, I was just going to say that. Think about it, right? Like you had El Trafico at the Rose Bowl, a regular season game And there's 82,000 plus there. If you would have told me that in 2012 when you and I were working together, I would have said, there's no way. Now listen, Messi could play on Mars. He would bring people to Mars. I get it. But Rebecca, he's brought attention to this sport that we've never had. We've got former colleagues at ESPN Reaching out for me to comment during the NFL training camp about Whoa. Messi's debut. Think of that. You—you're the only yeah, person I could say that to. Where everyone knows the magnitude of the NFL. Like, imagine NBC Dan Patrick going. Actually, no, no, no. Hold on. Let's talk about Messi instead of Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. It never mm-hmm. happened. What has it been like for you to see Messi in Miami? I—I
0: I feel proud. I feel a bit yeah. like yeah, about blooming time. I love MLS. <laughs> I love everything that. It is about, yep. I love the fact that it is also setting the bar and creating divisions underneath it. USL, USL2, there are clubs popping up everywhere you look in this country. And that's because of MLS. That's that's not because of anything else. The drip down, you know, the dribble, the kind of everything feeds everything. And MLS is where it starts. And to yep. see Messi choose this country, I'm proud because I'm I'm, you know, I'm now a citizen, but I'm proud that he chose this country's football. Because he could so easily have gone to Saudi Arabia. I mean, he, they've all done it's
1: it. It's 1.2 billion I, I reasons mean, why.
0: Right. And <laughs> of course, he's getting very nicely compensated, of course. But so he should, by the way, because he's done already. Already, I'm sure he's paid half that back with everything he's done. But the one thing I love so much about seeing Messi here, today is that first game is the way he celebrated. Agreed. It wasn't the goal, which, by the way, puts chills on me right now. I'm actually having chills just thinking about that goal at that minute and that game. But it was the way he celebrated. I just thought, you know, you're not you're not here. You're not here for a for a kind of a longer buy. You're here because you you want to carry on what you've done and you want to make a difference in this country. And I respect that hugely. And I'm so blooming proud we got him.
1: He's not here for a cup of tea. He's going to do anything he can to win. And the only reason why he's here is, yes, he wants to be the face of football, soccer in America with the next three summers. Rebecca, he could never do that at Barcelona. He couldn't do that at Paris. He couldn't do that in England. He he gets it.
0: He knows Amer- America is different. It is different. And it's also the future. And it's the only place left on earth that still has room to grow. Okay? And he knows that. He's not stupid. He knows that. Yep,
1: He knows that. He also knows he's going to be the face of that. The next three years, you've got Copa America. You've got the FIFA Club World Cup. you got the World Cup. Rebecca, you are the perfect person to ask this. How does the United States, and in particular, how does the sport of soccer and football become a top three sport in this country after those three summers?
0: I think that it will, absolutely, in my opinion. get It's, it's going to happen. One of the biggest things is time, okay? Yep. And that's obvious. We have seen that since you and I first met in 2012 to where we are 11 years later. Look what's happened. Mm-hmm. Give it another 10 years, including those three summers and everything that they're going to bring, it's going to go top three. There is no, and it's going to be not just Premier League, not just US men's national team, US women national team games, but MLS as well. It's going to be because, because I say this all the time today, the rest of the world cannot be wrong. They're not all wrong. it's it's happening guys you just got to accept it let's welcome it in come on let's welcome it in.
1: the only thing the rest of the world's wrong on is driving on the left side of the road i just did that for like (laughs) 24 hours i am surprised i'm still alive here to talk about it rebecca how the how the hell do you guys do that like why why are you Taylor, doing that? Taylor, the rest I, of the world's on the right side. <laughs> okay. First of all, probably have to
0: blame the queen at some point, I think. But um, <laughs> can you just please spare a thought for when Paul and I emigrated to America in 2013? Oh, my and God. We how to the you do Oh, it? my God. We went to the Honda garage. It's not an ad, but it can be. No problem. Uh, I got a Honda and I'm like, okay, now I'm pulling out of this Honda garage in Westport, Connecticut. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've, I've literally got no idea. I've literally, am I get, where do I look? Because if I'm not. Tr- I, it was a disaster. We had a few close shaves. It, it was bad. It was really bad. Now though, now I won't. Now I won't drive in England because I'm terrified. Oh my I'm lord! It's,
1: I just did it. It is a disaster. <laughs> I got. I'm telling you right now, it is a disaster. You're right though. The rest yeah, of the world has to be right about right? something, and I think soccer is going to be there. I want to talk about your media career real quick because. Okay. I remember sitting there looking at you and I was very raw at the time and there was a natural, natural (sighs) ease when you sat next to me and you had it. And I don't know, I don't know how to describe that for, for viewers at home that watch you regularly. I just, why, why do you think you've connected so well with the viewers here, Rebecca?
0: First of all, that's so nice, Tay. Thank you so much. Um, I think, gosh, it's hard. I I think maybe it's to do with being myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because the first 10 years of my career, people used to say, just be yourself. And I'm like, how do I do that? But you know what it is? It's it's reps. So I was on TV for so long in that first 10 years of my career, over and over and over again, doing like sports bulletins and all this different stuff, yep. that I just became more confident. And, I, you know, I tr- and I also, I think it's really important as well to make the show about the other people. Mm-hmm. And I really try really hard because... I haven't played the game. That's not my job. I'm not a presenter with an opinion. I mean, obviously, I got a lot of opinions. But I haven't got (laughs) an opinion on the show. That's not the role. (laughs) In in my eyes, the the role of the host is not to go give opinions. That's your job, right? And I really, I'm very strong about that. I'm very passionate about that. I don't like it when it kind of turns on me. Every now and then, of course, because we've been together so long, there's going to be a little joke back at me. No problem. And the audience are fine with that. But I think it's just about sort of knowing your place, really, and setting everything up for the other people to succeed. But
1: you seem so well kept and prepared every single time, no matter what the situation is. And I think a lot of people would appreciate (sighs) it's not easy. We all have insecurities. We all have worries that keep us up at night. Does anything worry you?
0: What keeps me up at night is not knowing enough. So I famously over prepare, you know, the bosses at NBC are like, they've always said to me, you don't need to do all that. I remember my first Olympics I went to, I knew everything there was literally everything there was about, you know, <laughs> some random what a biathlon. I'm like, yeah, I can tell you about it. It's about the heartbeat. It's about what you have to do. And they're like, you don't need to know all that. What are you doing? Dan Patrick took me to one side and was like, Rebecca. Just think about the next hour. You don't need to think about next week's biathlon relay race or whatever the hell it is. Just think about the next hour. But I can't help it, Tay. I can't. My biggest fear in life, career-wise, is to get stuck on air and not know what to say. Mm-hmm. And so what I would rather do is do such a lot of preparation. How many
1: times in your life have you ever not had something to say though?
0: <laughs> well none, <laughs> because I do so much plum and prep. Um, but you're right. So many things have been thrown at me over the last 10 years where it's kind of been out of left field or we've had some crazy yep. situation happen. Or, and even before that, when we had, I was working when Fabrice Mwamba collapsed for Bolton in the FA Cup yes. and I was pitch side for that for ESPN. So stuff has happened like that. And I only feel like I can get through that if I have preparation and I use about 20 to 25% of the preparation that I do. Oh, no doubt. And that's, but that's normal, I think. And I think that for me is the thing that, that, that stresses me out. Do I still get nervous? Absolutely. I was nervous just last week when I had to open the show, Standing outside the Aston Villa dressing room, you know, and walk, do a walk and talk live down a hill in heels. Never fun. Wasn't my <laughs> best choice with the heels. Walking down a hill and then up a hill over some wires round the corner to where Tim Howard and Stephen Warnock were standing. And that makes me nervous because that's a lot of memorization walking, you know, the fan fest, those kind of things, new, new and different stuff, which is why I love doing them. I would call it adrenaline rather than nerves, but I'm still human. It's not easy. It's, it's just about working hard and never changing the way I haven't changed the way I work for 20 years. And I, and I never will say I'll never cut corners. That scares me.
1: But in the same breath, you've also become a working mom. And I think the listeners aspire to accomplish both things well in the way you do it, But you and I just had a conversation before we started this about how difficult it is to now be a parent and traveling all the time. How are you coping with it? Yeah. It's not easy, is it?
0: It's not easy. It's really not easy. And it goes through stages with your children as well. So when they're babies, they don't know. Then they get to that clingy age of two or three, and then it's really, really hard. And then he, cut, Teddy kind of moved out of that age a little bit and was better. And then, but you know what I really learned, Teddy, the other day, I said to Teddy, I said, Ted, you know, mommy's going to the Olympics next summer. You know, I'll be away for a few weeks. But you remember, Mummy's done five of those or four of those, whatever it is, since you've been alive. And he's like, have you? Yeah, I remember in Tokyo two years ago when I recorded 22 bedtime stories on my on my cell phone and sent you a bedtime story every night that I'd recorded before I left. You, you don't remember that? That was literally just two years ago. I mean, you're only five. Like Rebecca's overprepped. No, you any...
1: overprepped. You overprepped.
0: Over... <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent. But my and my point is like he didn't even remember. So I thought I was there damaging my child by leaving him. Yep. He has no memory of that at all. So I think. What I what I try to remember is put it in perspective is that when I was a kid and my mum had to go to work and my dad had to go to work, I didn't think, oh, they should be spending time with me doing art projects. No, it was like, okay, you gotta go to work. So what I try to do with Teddy is first of all, I tell him that I love my job, because it's true. So if I'm telling Teddy on a Friday before I leave for work, I love my job, I'm excited for the weekend, you're going to get to watch me and there's all these great games and I and I involve him in that, then he's fine. If I'm the one clinging to him, I don't want to go, I don't I'm going to miss you so much. It's fine to say like I'm going to miss you if I'm away for 3 weeks, but if I'm just going away for a weekend or a few days, I don't go down that road of, "Oh, Mommy's going to miss you so much" because then he's worried about me. Mm-hmm. I don't want him worried. About it. I want him to be happy that Mommy's going and doing something that she loves because we're all allowed to do that in life and I'm trying to also set an example to him. When he grows up, I want him to see all this as totally normal. These women who go and do something they love and put everything into it and take it very seriously.
1: I agree. But I also think as a parent, if you can show you love what you do and you do what you love, there may be the best example for any kid, both male or female, to aspire for that happiness and to do something because we're all very fortunate to do something that we love. Very few people can actually, that are listening or saying that. And you and I are two people that can say, you know what? We're lucky. There's sacrifices so in life. We need to hear that more. I think the younger generation can't hear no, can't fail, can't do certain things. That's a different uh, podcast. But Rebecca, yeah. for you to do what you love and to love what you do, I think Teddy, it, Teddy's going to get something from that. And that may be the greatest gift you give him. I want to put a bow in this conversation because I'm not letting you leave without a World Cup prediction. <laughs> okay. And if it's not the United States women's national team winning the World Cup, do you think that's a good thing? Or a bad thing?
0: Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I don't think they are going to win it. I don't think they are. Me neither. And I think that would... <sighs> I, I I think it might be a good thing for women's football if they don't win it. I think it'll be a temporarily bad thing for U.S. soccer.
1: I think it's massively important that the United States women, when they don't win, it grows the game faster here. Yeah. And here's why. I just said to you, we need failure. I'm not saying, first off, I want to make this abundantly clear. Rebecca Lowe and Taylor Twelman are not rooting against the U.S. women's national team. No, 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 no. No, we're not rooting against that. But what we're saying is we don't think the women are going to win. And what does that mean 5, 10, 15 years down the road? I think people are going to remember it because it's going to help them grow faster. It's going to help them uncover what the issues are inside the federation and the women's program and i think they're going to be better for it i don't care if anyone rebecca tells me i'm wrong i don't think we are i think now if they win it it's still obviously great three three times in a row i get that i just don't think they win it and i don't think in the long run it's a bad thing
0: but for the rest of the world if they lose if they don't win it the rest of the world is inspired to think we can do whoever does win it we can do what they did and if the u.s women's national team do win it that inspiration is still there, but it feels more hard to touch for everybody else, for everybody else. So there's good and bad in both of it. For the women's game, I think this could be a line in the sand.
1: Yep, I think so too. Rebecca Lowe, I love you, dear. I can't believe it's been almost oh. 13 plus years. <laughs>
0: oh God. You need
1: to hear this because yeah. I'm going to say this off camera and I'll say this differently. When we talk about our chapters in a book of our life, It's going to be interesting, the fact that you and I at some point crossed paths in 2012 when we look back on it and go, wait a minute, that was 30 years ago. Dear Lord, we're old. Thank you so much for being my second guest, Rebecca. I love you here.
0: Oh, my gosh. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tay, so much. And good luck with the pod.
1: I told you Rebecca was great. And if you want more of her and Brendan Hunt, it's after the whistle on Apple podcast for world cup news, live scores and standings. You can also do the Apple news app in my sports. I know for one thing, I'll be watching the women on Sunday. I'll also be in Cincinnati for their game against Nashville. Who knows who takes on club America. We saw club America against Chicago sell out that stadium in five minutes. The league's cup over the weekend is going to be a blast all the way into next week. That's where I'm going to be. And for you guys, thanks for listening. But please rate, review the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Offside with Taylor Twalman. We'll see you next week. Offside with Taylor Twalman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janot was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan and Iggy Monda were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker And I'm your host, Taylor Twelman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. I look forward to meeting up with Rebecca. Nah, I hate that ending, you asshead.